John and the band, that was fantastic. I love those songs. They sort of uh, what I call a nosebleed songs. They take you to the heights and you sit and you think, man, I, I just get lost in the presence of the Lord. I'm just so grateful for that. Uh, greetings from Common Ground Church. We're your sort of thousand kilometer away cousins down the road. And uh, we, we, we love the friendship and uh, family sense we have. I don't know if you know this, but lots of the guys who leave here to go and study in Cape Town, they, uh, many of them end up in, in common ground. And uh, I can't think of, of one of them who want, weren't an unbelievable blessing. Uh, we've just been with Matt and Marina for a, a night uh, at Sinsa. And we walked those lovely long beaches and in the streets and on the beaches, everyone we spoke to were just so friendly and warm. Don't you have any axe murderers here or anything like the people are just so amazing in this part of the world and I don't know if I'm just like got a grace lens, but I just so have loved the people I've met and and uh, uh, the word uncomplicated comes to my mind. It's what you see is what you get. There's an authentic beauty about Eastern Cape people and I commend you for that. Uh, and then again, just being with these guys at the, at Sinsa was just so special to grow our friendship with, with Matt and Marina and, and then yesterday we had a bribe with all the elders and wives, and uh, uh, it was just so lovely just to connect and build friendship and, and deepen those connections. I did leave some really serious good apostolic input. The guys were all brine clockwise, and I taught them how to brine anti-clockwise. So that was just want you to know, helping the guys in your church learn how to brine. Okay, silliness aside, uh, I sense the Lord is... Uh, it's powerfully at work uh, in you as a church in the first meeting. And in this meeting, I can just sense there's an authentic sense of hunger for more of God. And that, that really excites me. And my hope is to, is to strengthen you as a church so that you will take your place in God's global story. Uh, that you'll get another sense of nosebleed as you come under the Word of God today and see what God is doing in the world. And... Uh, I want to speak to you what I've entitled simply, What on Earth is God Doing? Or I could also say, What on Heaven is God Doing for Earth's Sake? Uh, you know, just turn that little cliche around. But uh, you'll, you'll get it as we, as we move into the text. I I'm, I'm want you to read from Revelation chapter 21. If you've got your Bibles or devices, Revelation chapter 21 and from verse 1. Giving you a moment to uh, to find that, and then let's read together. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, or cry nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. 
And he who was seated on the throne said, let's just say these words out loud together. He who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Let's say it again. Behold, I am making all things new. That sense of that final wrap-up of history in the ages of ages when God takes that uh, original story in the garden where humankind rebelled against their Creator and uh, all relationships were fractured vertically to God, horizontally with each other, uh, the fault lines of sin corrupted creation, and uh, the world as uh, was in originally given was corrupted. And we've just read the good news, the beauty, the wonder, the story of how God has the last word in history. My friends, I don't know if you ever have this feeling that you are responsible for creating a script for your life and that you are responsible for directing this script as a sort of your own movie of the best version of yourself and that you have to play the lead role in this movie. I don't know if you ever feel like that. And what I want to invite you into is the liberation and the freedom and the emancipation and away from that tyranny. I want us to discover a different story, the story that God himself has written, the, God, the story that God himself is directing, and the story he invites us into, but we don't play the lead role. He has sent the person of his son, Jesus Christ, into the world 2,000 years ago to be the hero of this story. Uh, and, and that our lives are inextricably bound to him uh, through, uh, through the new birth, through this new life that we have in Christ. And we, by virtue of being bound to Jesus, are bound to a new possibility and a new future and a new a vision and a new story. You can say, yay. Just the two or three of you. Fantastic. For the rest, we are arranging for your excommunication. Now, what's interesting about this passage, behold, I'm making all things new, is the word new there is the, is the word kainos, which is a very unusual word. It's used just very few times in the New Testament. The word that is used mostly in the New Testament for new is the word neos, which is like you renovating a, a vintage car, which many guys here, I would imagine, have done, or a piece of furniture, uh, you know, or, 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 or a house, whatever. And then you stand back at the end of all the blood, sweat, and tears, and expense, and you say, wow, repeat what the word I leave out. This is as good as, that's, that's neos. But that's not what's happening. What's happening in Revelation, what God is describing as being all things being made new, is, is a different category of newness. It means something completely new. It comprehensively new, totally new, brand new. 
And here's the good news, is that this is God's not waiting for the end of history to do this kind of new thing. It's already happened when Jesus died on the cross, was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven. The great reversal has begun. He has already begun to make all things new. He got a brand new resurrection body, which is why we can say the great reversal has begun. The good news is, is, is going to be multiplied uh, uh, in, into all nations, in and through our lives, in and through His church. But look what he says in 2 Corinthians. Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, kainos, new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new, the kainos, that future reality has arrived in the present. We have already begun to tap into the great renewing of all things, except God doesn't do this renewal in the structures of society, in the economies of the world. He's doing it uh, wonderfully as leaven in a secret, powerful way, one heart at a time, one life at a time, and we're being fused and forged together in this new community through the church, called the church. Folk, this newness, if you're a Christ follower, is describing you and me, if you're still checking out Christianity or church or trying to make sense of it all, this is a good Sunday to hear that we are not, uh, you, know, you know, a bunch of people who are, are gathering together to sing some songs to make ourselves feel better. This isn't a therapy session for people with a lack of meaning. When we gather to worship, we are gobsmacked because we've been reconciled to this high king of heaven who's brought us into the magnetic field of his most beautiful and life-giving uh, reality. What I want you to notice is in both of those two verses that we've read in the Revelation passage 21 verse 5, it's, it's not just I'm making all things new, it's behold. When in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, it's behold. It's the same thing. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold the new has come. Now, that word behold is also something to get our teeth into. It's just, it's just lovely. It's, it really means be stunned. Be very stunned. It means you are an utterly new creation. The spiritual product of the gracious and life-giving power of God is a breathtaking reality. Behold. Stand back. Stop and consider this remarkable reality. And I would imagine that many of us struggle from time to time in our lives, trying to get victory over various areas of our lives. And part of our struggle is failure to grasp the far-reaching power of this new possibility that, uh, that is ours through faith in the risen Christ. Now, N.T. Wright is one of the guys, theologian, that, that around the subject of the resurrection and this new beginning and God's kingdom and what he's doing in the world, he's just absolutely brilliant. And uh, he defines this, this new reality uh, with the word hope. He's written a book called Surprised by Hope. And in the book he says, Easter, which we're coming up for, was when hope in person, 
surprise the whole world by coming forward from the future, behold, I'm making all things new, into the present. And when we start to understand that, we understand what the writer to the Hebrews meant when he said in, in Hebrews 6 and verse 5, is it, that we have tasted, tasted of the powers of the coming age. We are siphoning out of the future into our present reality, a new power, a new reality, and it is better than we could ever have imagined. So I want to answer a few questions today. So what is God doing to make all things new? But I'm answering three questions. What is He doing in heaven to make all things new? What is He doing on earth to make all things new? And what is he doing in and through the church to make all things new? Are you ready? Put an elbow into the ribs next to you and say, don't fall asleep because this is exciting. So, what is God doing in heaven? What is he doing in heaven? And of course, we know that uh, when Jesus died on the cross, was raised from the dead and then ascended into heaven, God was so totally satisfied and pleased with Jesus' work on the cross to reconcile the whole world to himself that he raised him from the dead and seated him under his eternal approval. He said, you, my boy, have done everything that we in Trinitarian love decided to do. And when you died on the cross, it is finished the debt was paid in full, and you are now raised to the point of highest privilege and honor, and he's seated on the right hand of God in heaven, on, in majesty, on high. I hope you realize that this Jesus that was raised from the dead is not some, uh, you, know, you know, benevolent fairy tiptoeing through the tulips, trying to titivate our lives because they're rather bored and meaningless, and isn't it nice to, you know, uh, these bumper stickers that say, oh, Jesus loves you, and honk if you agree. Uh, it's a very, it's so trivial. We've got to get a bigger, richer revelation of who God is and what He's done in Christ. And so, the first thing God has done is when He raised Him, He seated His Son at His right hand. He put everything under His feet. He did that in heaven. He's put it, everything in heaven and earth or under Jesus' feet. That's why Jesus could say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I would be quite nervous if he didn't have it all. I would be wondering where, you know, whether I, you know, can I afford to let my God down? Can I afford to just really sleep well? I'd be anxious. God wants this reality of Jesus having all authority to start to transform the way we think, transform the way we live our lives in a, in a wonderful way. Not only is he putting everything under Jesus, he's uniting all things in Jesus. He's uniting all things in Jesus. In uh, Ephesians 1.9, he's made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, which we're now living in, to unite all things in him. There's a wonderful sense in that God's great uniting work is happening uh, in the church uh, through the church, and uh, that's enough said on that. The other thing he's doing in the heavens is he's extending and, 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 and preparing for the, 
final inbreaking of God's kingdom. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that He may send Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive. That's what happened in the ascension. But heaven must receive until the time for the restoring or renewal of all things. There's a day coming, ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus steps into history and He says, to all the rulers of the world, all those who've raised their fist of defiance against God's king that he has set in Zion, and he is going to say, ladies and gentlemen, it's closing time. From now on, the benevolent dictator has arrived. And I know we don't like that word dictator, but if ever there was a time, that's what we need. Someone who's so kind, who's so good, who never puts a, wrong, a foot wrong and just rules. That's what is coming to this planet in the person of Jesus at the second come. And that's why we pray every day this prayer. Listen carefully. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. My friends, God's authority is unchallenged, unrivaled in heaven. The universe is pretty big. And earth is this tiny pinprick in the universe. And there is no rebellion. There is no contestation for who is in charge of the universe and the final, beautiful, consummating purposes of God. That is unchallenged anywhere else in the whole universe except on this little, this little speck of dust where we still have uh, those ambassadors of the kingdom of self who think that they can make life work on their terms. They think like a four-year-old who's throwing a tantrum to fly, get into the cockpit of a Boeing 747 and saying, I can fly this thing, Daddy. I can fly this thing. No, you can't. You're four years old and life is too complicated for you to be able to manage your, even your own life on your own. We need to come under the all-wise, all-loving leadership of God. And that day is coming. But until then, we're the first fruits of that citizenship. We're praying every day, your kingdom come, your will be done. Let's say it out loud, folk. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The final thing, and I'm just giving you a short summary. I'm sure you can think of some other things God's doing in heaven, but God is praying or God is answering the prayers of Jesus in heaven. Think about it. You might not be the best person at praying for you, but according to John 17, Jesus tells that motley crew of disciples, he's, he, they're listening to him pray. I mean, wouldn't you like to be listening to Jesus pray prayers for you? And if you go through John 17, that's your homework. You see the prayers. They are just the most beautiful prayers. The heavenly high priest, he's praying prayers of protection. Keep them, guard them. He's praying prayers for our oneness. He's saying, God, make them one, unite my, uh, my own in, in this one body. He's praying prayers for our emotional well-being. He's saying, give them the joy that is in me. Give them that joy. Wow, that is amazing. And he's saying, Lord, let people hear the word through them. Also come to taste of my goodness. He's praying for, for evangelistic fruitfulness in the church from heaven. He's praying, Lord, let the glory that we had, let them uh, taste or participate or partake in this glory. And if that's not enough, he said, Lord, let the love that you have for me, your son, let that love the Father, the eternal Father has for the Son, let that love be in my adopted son's 
and daughters. I mean, that is almost blasphemous. Think about it. Who does Jesus or who does God love more, his son or his adopted sons and daughters? Same. Let the love you have for me be in them. Folk, we are supposed to be the most secure people on planet earth because here's the good news. If Jesus is praying those prayers and God answers the most glorious prayers in heaven, you need to know you're under the yes and amen of heaven. God wants us to be the most secure people. Can I have an amen? Okay, what's he doing on earth? He's making all things new. What's he doing on earth? And this is interesting. How many of you have seen the condition of the nations of the world? Have you read the newspapers lately? Have you seen what's happening in the UK with Brexit? Uh, the uncertainties of all the uh, people movements from the Middle East into Europe? Have you seen the shakeup in Syria? Have you seen what's happening between China and America in terms of the trade wars? Have you seen what's going wrong with all kinds of democracies in South America and in Africa? Have you seen the world is in a bit of a crazy state? And uh, uh, the temptation is to sort of go underground, put your head in the sand. I don't want to know. That stuff's depressing. I can't do that. I'm not wired like that. I have to know. And the only way you can face that stuff is if you've got a bigger story, a bigger backdrop that you can s interpret this story through. And folk, we've got all kinds of fault lines in the world. I don't think I've ever been in a time in my short period. You know, I'm only 33. And uh, I'm 63, but in my... 40 years in ministry this year, 40 years, four decades, I have not seen a world that looks more uncertain. I'm not saying that this is a reason to panic or find a remote island somewhere, because you can do that. You say, well, you know, then look at South Africa, our corruption, our ISCOM, and I don't want to look at uh, the ISCOM boys who, you're not personally responsible, we release you from that, Okay. Uh, the coming elections that are coming up, all the Zondo commissions, all of that. There's the temptation. We've had one of our congregation leaders grappling with people who think, is there a future for me, my kids in this country? It's reality. But I'm hoping for us to find a greater reality this morning through this message. So some people are saying, well, I'm just going to go to Australia. But then they cheated cricket. Who wants to be there? Others are saying, oh, no, no, we're going to something, the land of Lord of the Rings. We're going to New Zealand. It's just so nice and peaceful. Guys, the world is crazy. And here's what God is doing. I believe that the world is poised for a wonderful gospel-inducing shake-up. In Hebrews chapter 12, God says, once more, I will shake the heavens and the earth so that what is unshakable will remain. Here's the great mercy of God. When the world is defying God and His laws and, uh, and, his, and, and His wisdom, and we say we can do a better job of creating our own brave new world, the best thing God can do is let us have our own way for a while. Then we see the fault lines, and then He shakes it a little until we're desperate enough and I want to stand in front of you today, and I want to prophesy with a growing conviction and stirring. I believe that there is a harvest that is going to come out of the shakeup and the uncertainty. This could be the church's finest hour in our lifetime. I'm not saying in all of church history. I want to say I think God is wanting to shake the, the, the false substitutes by which uh, human beings, nations, governments 
uh, think that they can create their own brave new world. And this shake-up is a mercy because left to ourselves, we will buy into the big lie and the delusion that we are sufficient within ourselves. When there's a bit of a shake-up, the vulnerability of that humbles us and we're able, like Nebuchadnezzar, to fall on our knees and say, only you have the wisdom and the sufficiency and the power and the glory to rule over all men. You see, the world needs to be humbled, and God's role in doing that is you don't want to be shaken in final judgment. You want to be shaken in this life, and uh, this is what one of the things that God is doing. And w- while that is happening, He's also convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. While He's doing that, He's drawing people to Himself in His love, mostly through the preaching of the word, but sometimes even in Islamic countries, just through visions and dreams. We sat with one of the uh, leaders in the New Frontiers Apostolic Network recently. We had him in our advanced scrum, and he was telling us about how they are equipping church planters. There's a team of 30 people who are committing three years of their life to learn the language, and they're going into Cairo to plant a church. Recently in South Africa, uh, I've been in touch with one church leader who's got a guy who's graduated from Bible college, he's got skills with languages, and he's passionate. And we're making the connections. We're nudging. Even in South Africa, we can be part of this great, grand gospel vision of seeing churches planted in different parts of the, of the world. And uh, what else is God doing uh, on the earth? He's subduing Gentile nations in mercy under the feet of the Messiah. See, it's not the governmental systems, it's not the structures of society that are being placed under Jesus primarily. There is a kingdom coming that has its own structures and its fullness. Uh, We can be part of influencing the structures of the world in which we live, and we're doing that best we can in Cape Town uh, in, in all kinds of ways. But the territory over which Christ will have sway is the hearts of those who've been called to believe and every new life that bows the knee to God, that is glorious. And God is also blessing the nations through the offspring of Abraham. There's this covenant God made with Abraham, and it's a covenant that he swore by himself in the heavens. What's God doing on the earth? He's saying, Abraham, through you and your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All the nations. All the people groups. It's not countries. It's people groups. Distinct people groups and languages will be blessed. Last year in September, I had the privilege of going to Nepal. And uh, yes, I did go on an airplane and see Mount Everest, and yes, it was glorious, but the greater glory is not the glory of that creation. The greater glory was the one who's making all things new in Nepal. We spent time with, uh, with 30 different church planters, and about half of those guys, their churches are pregnant with a church plant. One of the guys... Uh, there's only 80 people in his community, and uh, he shared the story of over the last two or three years, one by one, he's baptized 60 of the 80 in his village, and now he's found out that there's a village beyond uh, the rivers and mountains and valleys, and he's made contact, and they've said, come over and share this story of who Jesus is, and he tells me, we said, well, how do you get there? He says, no, we swim across that river. You know, if you want to know Himalayan water, ice cold water, you see, when you see the worthiness 
of the one who is the hero of the story, you're, and, you're, and you're bound to him in goodness, then you want to spend your life toward him and what he's doing. Folk, this is the story that we've been summoned into. Last part of the talk. What's he doing in and through his church? How's he making all things new in and through his church? Well, number one, he's building and sustaining his church. Jesus said, I will build my church. Isn't that interesting? We're not called to build a church. We're called to preach the gospel, and sometimes we get it the wrong way around. We want to build a church, and we want Jesus to go and do all the evangelistic work. He says, now, I'm going to build the church. You're going to proclaim the gospel. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And yes, I'm with you always. Those are the four alls because he's got all authority. He says, because I've got all authority, there's no one speck of dust on this planet that is outside of the realm of my unstoppable power and mission. And he says, teach them all things. I've got a curriculum in the kingdom. I want you to teach the gospel, teach the truth of my word, teach all things. And here's the good news. He says, I will be with you always. That's married to the first three alls. As we go about this, we will experience the inbreaking of God's supernatural dynamic power in ways that we will not, we, we, we will believe, but it's beyond what we're currently believing. 2017 Common Ground went through one of its worst moments, probably the worst moment in our history of 22 years. You might have seen in the papers, we were the front page news of the Star magazine, weekend newspaper, front page. Youth worker was found out to be a cyber sex predator and affected 60 members, 60 families in our church, 6-0. And uh, we were the complainants, we went to the police. I just want you to think about the implications Sometimes the devil's in no hurry to get a church. He waits for a, a moment, and then he lets loose uh, the hounds of hell to just to hurt us and harm us. And he's come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And we find ourselves on our knees before God. We found ourselves crying out to God. I found myself saying, Lord, what, what on earth is doing? And then I went to pray in the Kirsten Bosch Gardens. It hadn't gone public yet. This is the fourth, the headline. And as I was uh, at, the, at the part of the Kirstenbosch Gardens where they had the um, Feinbosch Gardens, there's a part of the two parts of the, there were three, but I'm only alluding to two. The one was where they had burnt Feinbosch, and the other was where Feinbosch was just uh, allowed to, uh, to grow and propagate. And then there was this explanation that every uh, 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 18 to 22 years, Feinbos needed to have its own fire. Now, in 2017, it was our 20-year anniversary, so 18 plus 20 divided by 2 is 20. So I'm thinking, oh, I've got this got my attention. It needs to experience its own fire for three reasons. One, to burn off disease. Two, to deepen roots. And three, to propagate seed. And I'm telling you this because this isn't the story of a church that's like on the front foot, rah, 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 we're the great church, we can do it. We were at that point about eight congregations, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was sore for us. The Common Ground is one church with eight congregations. And uh, we, last year was a year of just being on our knees, but somehow in the midst of this, we, 
we, we found a leader for our, uh, our church in Seapoint, and that church has started to just move forward in a wonderful way. And then recently this year in February, we planted our first church in Tulunga. Here's the issue. God will allow hardship and fire to come through to us, but His purpose is not to, it's not ever, God will hurt us, but He'll never harm us. He will allow some of the things to come our way if there's a higher purpose, which in our case was to get us ready for what was coming. And folk, I want to put it to you that there's no hardship that comes to our lives personally, as families, or even as churches, that God can't use for His glory uh, to set us up for what's coming. This past January, we had the highest attendance in the history of Common Ground over 22 years. I'm not giving you the numbers. I'm just telling you, we sat back, and this year, we started with just more prayer, more waiting on the Lord, and we said, we're going to put our lives under the easy yoke and the light burden of Jesus we are not going to be these hyperactive bunnies trying to produce results, and it's been wonderful. And I want to say to you that, uh, that God is sustaining His church. That's the point. What else is God doing? He's bringing the future into the present through the church. Every local church is an ever-expanding outpost and colony of heaven on earth. One of the commentators says, we are God's commercial. We are God's cameo of what is and what is to come. We're the poster children of the already and the not yet. And the book of Acts is basically just continuing what happened in the Gospels. And what's happening in church history is continuing what happened. It's what Jesus began to do and to teach. He is still doing His glorious work in and through the local church. Read the book of Acts. What's happening? The gospel's being preached. New communities are being born. And those uh, uh, communities in often major cities are becoming mission bases. And I really want to call you to that, Sterling. You've been around long enough. I want to call you to that, to be a mission base, to start to think of yourself as a hub church, as a reproducing house. Yes, it's great to grow sterling, but I'm talking about a gospel presence that starts to be more strategic and saying we can multiply what we've got. What else is God doing in and through the church? He's assuring us. You know who's going to change the world? Not the, people, not the church with the best gifts. Not with the church with the most money. Not even the church with the best leaders. You know who's going to change the world? People who are assured, people who are confident about the ultimate triumph of Jesus Christ, who get up in the morning and are not saying, oh, Lord, it's morning. They're getting up and saying, good morning, Lord, let's do it. We're partnering with Jesus in a new way. Wow. Wow. What else is he doing? Well, he's the, he wants us to be assured, and what part of how he feeds his assurance is he reveals himself to us. That's what he did to those seven churches in Asia Minor. He revealed himself. He said, I'm the Alpha. Well, it's nice to know he's the Alpha, but he, then he says, I'm also the Omega. He says, I'm the first. I also want you to know I'm the last. He says, I'm the beginning, but I also want you to know that I'm the end. The writer to the Hebrews says, yes, he's the author, but he's also the finisher of our faith. He wants us to know that the, we, we, we're, we're living off the fragrance of an empty tomb, and Jesus is the grounds for our absolute assurance and confidence, and everybody said, yeah. Coming into land 
He's pouring out His Spirit on the church and commissioning power to preach and teach the kingdom of God. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. My friends, it's unstoppable. Nothing is going to stand in the way. In advance, we have decided we're way better together with a group of churches. We don't want to be an island church trying to do it on our own. We realize that we're better together. And uh, there's only two things we do. We strengthen churches and we plant churches. When I come and invitation of the elders, which is an incredibly generous invitation, you never know what you're going to get when you invite somebody to church. When you say yes to that, everything in me and everything in our advance partners is what we want for churches. We want nothing from churches. We want to create an opportunity for them to get strong and experience the possibility of partnerships that take you from a village to city and to global kind of thinking. Just been in uh, Scotland where I had the privilege to be at a church plant seven weeks old, about 80 people coming together in this brand new church plant. Absolutely fantastic. The the, the Sunday meeting was alive with the presence of the Holy Spirit, just like the meeting here today. Beautiful. Afterwards, hanging around, talking to people, listening to their stories. And then found myself going to a lunch afterwards that had been planned well in advance. But it was a preacher's training course. Now, how many people in a church of 75 to 80 people would you imagine would come to do preacher's training? We had a lunch. And there were 30 people who'd signed up to do preacher's training. They're paying for their lunch. They had brilliant speakers. The guy who leads the church in Kennedy, he spoke on the authority of Scripture. Uh, another pastor uh, from a, who was an invited guest spoke on how to read the Bible for all it's worth, which is about interpreting the Bible right. And then I did a thing on do- double impact preaching, which I just went like that. And I got so excited because, y- you know, this, isn't a, this is a church that's seven weeks old and is already starting to train and equip preachers because they want to be a church, gospel preaching, gospel church multiplying community. I was so excited by that. Three years ago, we sent a couple, Rachel and Blake, from Common Ground to go and plant a church in Madagascar and Tananarivo. And, uh, and, and Blake keeps telling us stories of how God is surprising him with people that are, it's a church that's grown also to about 70 or 80 uh, people. PJ and uh, Ashley uh, Smythe, who are team leaders for the uh, global advanced team. He's such a gift. He, he has gone through a really painful time in the last while in terms of some of the church dynamics that don't always work out well. But he's planted a church, I think less than two months ago, and they've already got in Washington, D.C., well over 200 people, and uh, they're having to plan for two meetings a Sunday. I'm saying that the, it's unstoppable. Uh, you know, when, when we gather to the kind of message we're understanding this morning, that God is at work and He is making all things new, it changes everything. We're not just filling a slot in our diaries, in our religious rhythms. No, we're living in the better story. We've been delivered from creating our own. What else is Jesus doing? Well, I'm glad you've asked this question. What's he doing in and through the church? He's lavishing gifts on the church. I know you've been doing a series 
uh, on spiritual gifts. These are His endowments of grace. This is Him giving you something new that you don't have, that you can't generate. This is a new empowering work of the Spirit. In Psalm 92 and verse 10, uh, uh, the psalmist uh, uh, prays back to God. He said, God, you, you anoint me with fresh oil. Uh, and, and that's what we need, folk. We'll never get the job done unless we're, we're responding to these outpourings of the Holy Spirit that are equipping us for the big thing that God is doing. So let me land. Three guys working on a, a, a pile of stones at a construction site. Try and picture it in your mind. Hammering away with their sledgehammers. And a passerby asks, what are you guys doing? One guy says, oh, no, we're chiseling stone. He asks a second guy, what are you doing? He says, no, I'm earning a living. Asks the third guy, what are you doing, sir? He said, well, I'm building a cathedral. A glint in his eye. You see, here's the deal. All through, all three were smashing stones. But only one of them saw the connection of his ordinary life to the extraordinary thing he was a part of. We've got to learn to take our vocations, our witness, our own testimony, and build it into a story where you start to get a 50, 100-year vision of what we could be as a church into the future if we just started to do everything we did under the empowering presence of the one who makes all things new. He can make our careers new. He can make our marriages new. He can make our, 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 our callings and our ministries new. He can renew churches. He can make all things new. Second Corinthians 5.17 again. If anyone is in Christ, they're a brand new creation. Behold, be stunned, be absolutely stunned. All things have passed away. Everything has become brand new. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, I thank you for this amazing time that we can gather around your word, that we can come under your word, that we can be renewed through the washing of the water of your word. We thank you that your plans for us are better than any of the plans we can come up uh, for our own lives. You're so wise, you're so kind. You made us for yourself, you made us for your pleasure, you made us for your glory, and then you save us and you make us your very own. God, I'm praying that we would find, as it were, the hand of the Lord upon our lives in a fresh way today. That we'd experience, as it were, the grip of His grace as You repurpose us, as You lift our, our sights higher. Uh, won't You open our eyes to the wonder of Your work in the world, Your work in heaven, and Your work in and through the church. And we invite you in the power of the Holy Spirit, make all things new. Renew us, refresh us. Why don't you just where you're seated there, maybe if you're comfortable with this, just raise your hands. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to give us this fresh oil, this new, this new sense of hope and expectation. God, I pray, come by your power. We want to say to you, we need the outpoured Holy Spirit 
to continue this work of making all things new. Thank you that even in South Africa, in this moment in which we can feel so much anxiety potentially, we can raise the backdrop of kingdom come, your will be done on earth in the power of the Spirit. And to that end, we yield ourselves to you. Thank you so much for your love and your mercy. And everybody said, Amen. Over to you, Matt. Thank you, guys. Riggs, thanks so much. Uh, just want to, uh, that word was spot on, I think, for many of us here. Just has lifted our eyes to a new perspective of what the kingdom of God is and where it's heading, how we can be a part of that. So thank you so much for being a gift to us today. And then enjoy some wonderful time together. So we've got great coffee, cafe, and friendship to form. So enjoy it. And thanks for being with us this morning. Thanks, Rick. Cool.